you will, take your Bibles or what you claim to be a Bible if you have an iPhone. Okay, so in, in what, whatever you happen to be using, turn to Galatians chapter 6. Now, that's actually the place in Galatians 6 we're going to be referring to. We're going to go through a few other places in the Bible before we get to 6. But for right now, turn to Galatians chapter 6. And by the way, if you're one of those people that likes to take notes, uh, in our, uh, in our uh, uh, program... We have a little side of the program that is for note-takers, and it's been kind of interesting to me. I've noticed a lot of note-takers since I've been here at Lake Hills. And so if you want to, right at the top of that place where, where, where later on uh, you're going to possibly be writing some notes down, you can write the, up there the term grace relationships, because that's what we're going to talk about today, grace relationships. And, and we're going to begin by talking about your relationship with God and what that grace relationship with God looks like. While you're taking your Bibles, while you're looking for Galatians chapter 6, I want to go back in time to a number of thanks, past a number of Thanksgiving seasons, to a Thanksgiving season a number of years ago when I was standing in the yard of, uh, of some people who were members of my church, Brian and Linda, and we were standing out in front of their house watching it burn. And uh, what, what do you say to somebody when, when their house is burning? They lived on a corner lot, and so they were pretty much surrounded by fire trucks. There were fire trucks on two sides of the house, and uh, there were fire hoses running all across the yard, and, and firemen, all these firemen doing, doing what they do and, and doing a great job of it. But I was standing there watching all this happen, and Brian and Linda were watching their house go up in flames, and I didn't know what to say. So I, I didn't say anything. For a long time, I just stood there. And then I happened to notice that their eight-year-old son, Tommy, was all by himself up in front of us and sort of over to the right, sitting on the grass. Actually, he was sitting on his knees. And I turned to Brian, and I said, Brian, how's he handling this? Well, when I said that, immediately when I said that, I thought, wow, that was not a very bright question. And, but then when, when Brian responded to me, I thought, wow, maybe it was. Uh, because Brian responded and said he started the fire. And I said, oh, no. And Brian said, yes, he did. And this is not the first time. He said, but it is the first time that the fire he started burned my house down. Now, let's think about that. I mean, watching, watching your house burn, that's one thing. But this house fire wasn't started by faulty wiring in the, in the walls or by creosote buildup in the chimney. This fire was started by the foolish disobedience of their son. And so regardless of what Brian and Linda might be feeling, were they angry? Probably so. Were they feeling regret? Probably so. But regardless of what they're feeling, Tommy is still their son. Now before we continue with this grace relationships, let's pray, okay? Lord God, Father, as I come before you now, oh God, we all come before you in the name of Jesus Christ, your son. 
Lord, an incredible, powerful, beautiful name of Jesus. And God, I ask you right now, Lord, by your Holy Spirit to open up our eyes, open up our minds, God, to be able to receive the truth that's in your word, to to help us understand the truth that is in your word. And and God, your spirit's the one who does that. Uh, Lord, I'm just here. I'm just playing a little role, but it's your spirit who opens up our minds to understand. And I ask you to do that, God. And Lord, if there's anything in me that would get in the way of that, then Lord, don't let it. But God, use me. In Jesus' holy name I pray. Amen. You know, I've often thought back to that event, that house fire event, and I can't help but see the similarity of between that house fire and the fall of man thousands of years ago in the Garden of Eden. We're, we're talked about, we're, we're told about that in Genesis chapter 3. Because it was at that time that Adam and Eve disobeyed God and they lit the flames of, of heartache and pain and destruction and death. Those flames that are still consuming our planet. And I can't help but think, what in the world was going through God's mind when this couple, a couple to whom he had given everything, and then by their own disobedience, okay, they had introduced destruction and death into his earth. You know, the biblical word for God's response to mankind's deliberate sin is the word grace. It's a word that is often defined as meaning unmerited favor. Practically speaking, it means doing something good for someone who doesn't deserve it. Now, in Romans chapter 5, we are told a little bit about this grace. And in Romans 5, it says, when Adam sinned, sin entered the world. Adam's sin brought death. So death spread to everyone, for everyone sinned. But now look what God does. In verse 21, it says, just as sin ruled over all people and brought them to death, Now, God's wonderful grace rules, instead giving us right standing with God, resulting in eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So man sins, and God's response to man's sin is grace. And in that grace, the good thing that God does for man after he sins is he delivers him from his sin and the consequences of that sin, which is death. Now, there's something we need to see here that many times we miss. Sin is the context in which grace is demonstrated. In other words... If there was no sin, then there wouldn't be a need for grace. So first Adam, and then you and I, we disobeyed God, 
And this sin separated us from God and the life that we have by being related to God. You might say that when we sinned, we were put over on death row. But God, because of his grace, he picked us up from death row and he brought us to a relationship with himself. And in that relationship with himself, then we have life again. We have the life that, that goes along, eternal life, that goes along with our relationship with God. Now, that takes doing something good for someone to a whole nother level. God demonstrates his gifts. He takes us off of death row and pulls us into a relationship with himself. Not because we deserved it, because we didn't. God did it because it's in his nature to demonstrate grace. It's been a number of years ago, and I was driving along Highway 69 south of Tyler. And I, if I remember right, the speed limit was 55 I was going close to 55, I guess. And, um, and so I was zipping along, and I look up in front of me, and, and up in front of me in the road, there's this, I, it sort of looked like a rock, but it was pretty good-sized rock. And then as I got closer, I realized, oh, my gosh, that's a turtle. And it was a little, about a turtle, about the size of a Frisbee. And he was trying to cross the road. Well, now cars were zipping by him, and every time one got close, you know, he would kind of withdraw into his shell for just a second. And, and, and so I'm watching this, and I'm thinking, wow, that's not going to work, fella. And, uh, and so I got, I passed him by, I passed him, I looked in my rearview mirror, and I see that little turtle back there, car's still zipping by, and I'm, and, and I'm thinking, he is not going to make it. And so I did a U-turn. And I came back, and I parked on the, uh, on the, over on the side of the road, over off the shoulder of the road. And then I, I get out of my car, and I'm coming out here, and I'm watching this turtle. And by now, he's just the other side of the midline, okay, of, on, on his way across the road. Cars are still zipping by, and every time a car comes zipping by, I'm sitting there thinking, oh, my goodness, don't get him. And he's, 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 he's still surviving. He's still there. Well, finally, there was this break in the traffic. And so when there was this little break, I went running across the road, and I scooped him up like I was picking up a fumble, okay? And I carried him over to the other side of the road, and I let him down, and he just continues on his way, not having the slightest idea that I just kept him from getting squashed out there in the middle of that road. Now, why did I do that? Was it because that I was thinking some way down the road the turtle might repay the favor? No. You know, to my knowledge, I don't think I've ever seen that turtle again. Did I do it because he deserved it? No. In fact, I didn't know if it was a good turtle or a bad turtle. The only reason I did it is because I did not want him to get smushed in the middle of the road. And if I didn't do it, that's what was going to happen. But you know, that, that's grace, by the way. But the grace that I showed that turtle was nothing compared to the grace that God showed us. Because when God showed his grace to us, 
when God demonstrated grace to us, it cost him the life of his son. You see, Jesus himself, the son of God, God in the flesh, he took our sin and our death into his body so that sin and death would no longer have the right to control us. Now, if you are a Christ follower, if you are a Christian, you have a grace relationship with God. You have that relationship with God not because you deserved it, but because God didn't want to see you smashed by sin and death. You have a grace relationship with God. Now, by the way, that's one of the things that makes, makes Christianity different from all of the other faiths, all the other religions in the world. Is if Christians have, if we have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, then it is completely a grace relationship. Not because we, did, we deserved it, but because God did it. He did the good thing for us. Now, here's something. Many of you know that. You say, boy, thank you, Lord, that I have a grace relationship with you. Because I know I could never earn it. Okay, now hold that thought. You remember just a second ago I said sin is the context in which grace is demonstrated? That without sin, there would be no need for grace? Well, did you know that grace relationships work horizontally as well as vertically? Can you see the handwriting on the wall here? It's getting ready to be a little complicated in 1 John chapter 4, God says in his word, God showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. That's that vertical grace, a relationship with God, a grace relationship with God. But then two verses later in verse 11, 1 John chapter 4 verse 11 John says, dear friends, since God loved us that much, we surely ought to love each other. Now, that's horizontal grace. So we have a relationship with God that is a grace relationship. But 1 John chapter 4 says that we're also supposed to have grace relationships with other people. And he says that the same love that motivated God to begin a grace relationship with us is supposed to prompt us to have grace relationships with others. Now, just as sin is the context in, we have, in which we have grace relationships with God, sin is also the context in which we have a grace relationship with others. Wow, this puts relationships this puts a whole new spin on relationships, doesn't it? What that implies is that the people you have relationships with, they're sinners. And not only are they sinners, they're sinners who sin. And sometimes their sin affects you. So great horizontal grace relationships is in the context 
of sin. Now, here's the question. Will we have a grace relationship with this sinner who is in our life? Will we have a grace relationship with them like God has with us? So practically speaking, what does that mean? What what does it mean to have a grace relationship with someone? What does that look like? So let's talk about practically speaking here. In a grace relationship, we are the first to try and restore and the last to condemn. Now we're finally going to get to Galatians, which is where I asked you to look. Galatians chapter 6, verse 1. Look at this. It says, Dear brothers and sisters, if another believer is overcome by some sin. Okay, now remember, sin is the context of a grace relationship. Okay, so if another believer is overcome by some sin, you who are godly should gently and humbly help that person back into or back onto the right path. And be careful not to fall into the same temptation yourself. Now I want to look at four words or four groups of words in this verse that will help us know what this horizontal grace looks like. Let's start with the word overcome. It says, if another believer is overcome. That word there uh, that is translated overcome, if you're looking at an NIV, the word is translated caught. And the image is of being caught in a web, like a spider's web. So caught up in this web, tangled up in this web of sin. And then another, uh, also notice it says, if another believer. So we're talking about someone who is a Christ follower. And if they're not a Christ follower then our first priority is to introduce them to Jesus. You know, a lot of times as Christians, we forget that the reason non-Christians don't act like Christians is because they're not Christians. And so if we want or if we would like for them to get to the place where they're, 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 they're living a Christian life with the way God would want it to be lived, then the first step in that is to introduce them to Jesus. But this guy is a Christian. That's what it says. It says another believer that's overcome by some sin. It's a Christian who is behaving badly. And then it says you who are Godly. Now, when it says you who are godly, that doesn't mean you're without sin. We know that there's no such thing as somebody being without sin. So it doesn't mean that you are without sin. It does mean that if you have a life that demonstrates you have a relationship with God, then you're godly. You're demonstrating by your life that you are a recipient of this vertical grace, your relationship with God. So then, if the quality of our lives demonstrates that we have a relationship with God, then we have a role to play in someone whose life does not demonstrate that they have a relationship with God. 
And that role to play in that person's life is not to ignore their sin, and it's not to accuse them of sin. According to this verse, our role is to help the person back, help the person back onto the right path. And that word there that is translated help is the word that means to to mend, to repair, or to restore. It's like a, a restoration artist is restoring a painting so that it, it looks like what it used to look like. And, and that's what it says we're supposed to do. It says that we are like this restoration artist, and, and our role is to restore this person or to help restore this person to the person they were before, before sin took control of their lives. Now, think for just a second. Think about your circle of relationships, whether it's family or, or, or neighbors or friends in your circle of relationships. Do you know anyone who is a Christian, but you would not know that they are a Christian by their life? They're not living like Christians would live if they're living the way God wants life to be. Now, if your relationship with that person is a grace relationship, horizontal grace, just like God has a relationship with you, then you may be in a position to help restore that person back to the life they had before sin took control. I'd been a pastor at a little church in Roswell, New Mexico for less than a year. And a guy by the name of Andy uh, came to see me, and, uh, and he was a member of, of our church, and, and he came and, and he asked me if I, would, if I would appeal to his daughter, Becky, to move back with her husband. Now, Andy was a firefighter. And in addition to being a firefighter, he's one of the most godly men I have ever known in my life. Becky was his oldest daughter. She was a young wife. She was also a mother. Uh, they, she, they, they had two kids. I think the oldest was three. She was a Christian. And she'd been raised in a Christian home. But about a week before Andy came to see me, she had left her husband and left her kids and moved in with another man. So I went to the house that Andy told me that they were living, where Andy told me they were living, and I rang the doorbell, and this guy comes to the door. Now, I assumed that this guy was the guy that Becky had moved in with, and so I told him who I was and that I, that I was there to see Becky. Well, he let me in. That was a surprise. Okay, so he let me in, asked me to sit down. I sat down, and then he called Becky, and Becky came out, and she sat down. And, uh, and I said, Becky, what's going on? Well, she told me pretty much the same thing that Andy told me. And so after she told me her story, then I said, Becky, where is God in all of this? What does... What does God think about what you're doing? Well, she immediately started crying 
which I thought was a good sign. But evidently, the guy that she was living with, he did not think that was a good sign because he said, I want you to leave. Well, so I got up, and I was walking to the door, and just before I went out the door, he said, and if you come back here again, I'm going to beat you up. Now, I didn't think I was being arrogant or condemning or rude. All I did was remind Becky of her relationship with God. The Holy Spirit did the rest. Well, a week went by, and Becky still hadn't come back home. And so, so I went back over to, to Becky's house to make another appeal. But this time, I took along a really big New Mexico state trooper. And I told him to come in uniform wearing his gun. Okay, so I, I had all my bases covered when I went back. Now, folks, I hate situations like this, not just because they can be life-threatening, okay? But I hate situations like this because most of the time, the person that I'm talking to is so caught up in this web of sin that they don't want to let it go. And, and e even if they, if they do want to let it go, many times they don't know how to let it go. But I didn't get involved in, in Becky's life because I wanted to. I promise you, I really didn't want to. And, and I didn't do it because I was her pastor and it was my job. I did it because the Bible says that I'm supposed to restore, to help restore Becky to the person she was before sin took control of her life. That's why I did it. And also because Andy asked me to. Okay? So, that's, that's one characteristic of a grace relationship. In grace relationships, we are the first to try and restore and the last to judge and condemn. There's a second characteristic of grace relationships that this passage in, in Galatians talks about. And that is, in grace relationships... We help the sinner deal with the consequences of their sin. Now, I want to go back to the house fire. Little Tommy sitting there in the front yard, his eyes were fixed on the front door of that house. And we see, guys, the firemen, they were coming in the stream of firemen coming out of the front, out the front door carrying carrying items, odds and ends, and putting them in the, in the front yard. And Tommy's eyes were glued to that front door. And so I turned, to, I turned to Brian, and I said, Brian, Tommy sure is watching that door. What's he watching for? And Brian said, his dog was in that house. And I thought, oh, my, this just goes from bad to worse. And Brian had barely said that when the fireman, a fireman, came out dragging the lifeless body of what had once been a white terrier and laid the dog down just a few feet from, from Tommy. Now, I wanted to go up and put my arms around that little boy, but the next move was not mine to make. The next move was going to be either Brian's or Linda's. Now, in Galatians chapter 6, the very next verse, verse 2, look at this. 
It says, share each other's burdens and in this way obey the law of Christ. Galatians 6.2. Now, in the context, that word for burdens is talking about the heavy load that sin leaves behind. So when it says share each other's burdens, it's saying help the sinner deal with the consequences of their sin. Now, you see, that's what God did way back in the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve disobeyed God. And the Bible tells us that immediately they were ashamed of their nakedness. And what's God's response to that? He makes them garments to cover their nakedness. Well, God's first God's response to sin was to help the sinner deal with the consequences of sin. So what does that look like with Tommy? You see, Tommy had sinned, he had disobeyed his dad and his mom, and there were some major consequences to that sin for, for, for Linda and, and for Brian, but also for Tommy. You see, Tommy, just like that turtle, Tommy was in a really bad place, and he was about to get run over by guilt and shame and blame and a host of other life-threatening bullies. Now, did Tommy deserve special treatment? No. It was his foolishness that caused him to be in this bad place in the first place. But you see, grace recognizes that no one gets what they deserve. And so if God is kind to me, even when I don't deserve it, then I should be kind to someone else, even if they don't deserve it. So if Brian's and Linda's relationship with Tommy was a grace relationship, then they would try and help him carry this load of guilt and blame. Now, that doesn't mean they change their position on playing with fire, but it does mean that they help Tommy rebuild after the fire. You see, grace may champion sexual purity, but it's also willing to help raise an unplanned child or care for someone who has a sexually transmitted disease. Now, let's back up to verse 1 again because there's two, a couple of other words in here in verse 1 where it says, it says, it says, you who are godly should gently and humbly help that person back onto the right path. Gently, in other words, be aware that this sinner, they've already been bruised and battered and ashamed, and I don't need to add to their uh, bruises or shame. And then humbly, don't act like I never sin, because I do. In fact, it even even says, be careful, or I could be caught up in the same sin. Now, this brings up a question, though. What if my kindness to this person person makes it easier for them to sin. And you know what? That's certainly possible. And sometimes there's a very fine line between demonstrating grace and being an enabler. And so because of that, I always pray, God, give me the wisdom to know the difference between grace and just enabling. But on the other hand, grace wouldn't be grace unless it can be abused. So when the dreaded moment 
arrived and that fireman dropped that little dog out there in front of Tommy. Tommy just sat there staring at that dog. It was like he was willing that dog to move. Please just move. But Brian, he was watching Tommy and he knew that dog wasn't going to move. And I was watching Brian to see what Brian was going to do. Now, was Brian angry? Probably so. Grace doesn't preclude the possibility of anger. But you know, in a grace relationship, grace trumps anger. Finally, Brian walked over and he sat down next to Tommy and he put his arm around him and pulled him up close and Tommy just buried his head in in Brian's chest and he just started crying. Brian didn't say anything. You see, it wasn't the time, it wasn't the right time to reprove or remind. It was the time to carry, to help carry a burden. Okay, I have three quick questions. First of all, Question one, are you a sinner and the person sitting next to you is very aware of your sin? Well, now you may be sitting there thinking, wow, I can't wait to get to the car to get home and tell them, Terry said you're supposed to give me grace. Okay, that's true. But grace isn't something you ask for. Grace is something that you are given. It's something we give. So that's the first question. See, I told you it's going to be a short little question. Second question. Who in your circle of relationships could use your help in untangling from a web of sin that is robbing them of the life that God wants them to have? Do you know somebody whose life does, who's a Christian, And their life doesn't demonstrate the life that God has for them. Then in just a moment, we're going to pray. And when we pray, would you just ask God for the courage and the wisdom and the opportunity to try and restore whoever that is to the person they were before sin took control of their life. Would you just pray that and ask God? And I promise you, when the opportunity comes, you will recognize it. You just ask God for the courage and the wisdom to take advantage of that opportunity. And then last question. Do you have a grace relationship with God? In other words... Does your relationship with God depend on you living up to a certain standard, which is what the rest of the world believes, by the way? Is your relationship with God based on you living up to a certain standard, or do you have a relationship with God because you believe that Jesus really did die on a cross for your sin and God raised him from the dead and you have asked Jesus to take control of your life. If you have not, 
come to the place where you really believe that Jesus died on a cross for your sin and God raised him from the dead. And if you are ready to, if you believe that now, that Jesus really died on a cross and God raised him from the dead, and if you are ready to ask Jesus to come into your life and take control, then you could enter into a grace relationship with God today, right now. Will you bow your heads, please? In just a moment, we're going to pray. Now, some of you, if you're a Christ follower and you know somebody who's not living a life that a Christ follower, that God really has for a Christ follower, I'm going to ask you, will you just pray and ask God for wisdom and courage and opportunity to help restore that person to who they were before? If you have not begun a grace relationship with God, then I'm going to give you the opportunity to do that right now. Just pray. Just pray. Just under your breath, just tell God, God, I'm sorry. God, I've sinned. I've done my own thing instead of your thing. And, and God, send Jesus Christ into my life. Lord Jesus, come into my life. And be my boss. Take control. You just pray that right now. Just pray. Forgive me. And Lord Jesus, come in and take control of my life. Just between you and God. Lord God, Father, I ask you right now, while everybody's praying, God, that you would give everyone in this room, wherever they are, Give them the strength to pray and talk to you about what they need to talk to you about. And God, for these people here who are not, do not yet have a grace relationship with you, Lord, give them the strength and the courage to ask Jesus Christ, your son, to come into their lives and take over. Now, while you're praying... If you're asking Jesus Christ to come in and take over your life, before you leave here today, would you just take that program that you were given, and there's a place on there for you to check and say, I committed my life to Christ this week. Just fill that out. Check that little spot that says, I committed my life to Christ this week. And I'm going to give you a call, and I'm going to talk to you. I want to talk to you about some important next steps in your spiritual journey. But it all begins with you. That call, my call to you begins with you checking that box that says, I committed my life to Christ this week. And if you just made that play, prayed that prayer, okay, then I'm going to ask you to do one more thing. Hold your hand up. Just hold your hand up to let God know that you're serious. And to sort of mark this day as the day that you, that day that you committed your life to Jesus Christ. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Now we have a we have a tradition here at Lake Hills Church, and 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 that is when you put your hands down, we put our hands together.